aren't you glad that he doesn't leave us where he finds us? You can be seated this morning. Um, I'm Pastor Carrie. For those of you who don't know me, I am um, one of the pastors here at Calvary. I primarily work with our students and their families, but once in a while I get the opportunity um, to be up here bringing the word of God before all of you. And so this morning, as you can see, we are celebrating the sacrament of baptism. Later on, we'll also celebrate the sacrament of the table. But before we do all of that, I want to take a few moments to, to trace for us about baptism, to trace for us through Scripture the way that Scripture shows us a pattern of the way God uses water to bring life, the way that he recreates us and brings us into a new creation. So if we were to go all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis 1, we get this fundamental portrait of the world that it is chaos. And God brings order to this chaos by separating, by multiple acts of separating. We see God's spirit come and it hovers over the dark. It hovers over the waters of wild and of waste that make life and human community impossible. And God separates these dark and chaotic waters and he creates a space where life can flourish. And then he goes on and he separates the light from the darkness. Scripture tells us God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning. But God doesn't stop there. He goes on, and he separates the waters above from the waters below. He separates the sea from the dry land by gathering waters together in single areas, and dry land emerges from the chaos. And that brings a place of life where we can flourish. And God brings humanity into this new world. But by Genesis 3, just two chapters later, humanity has done what humanity does. It unleashes chaos back into the world. And what we begin to see from here on out all through the rest of Scripture is this replaying of the pattern of God having to separate the waters in order for life to thrive. However, instead of creating order through these acts of separating like he did for us in the beginning, we now see him rescuing. It's not just order anymore. It is now a rescue mission. He's rescuing us, his people, his remnant. We are going to emerge out the other side of this water as a new creation. And so this pattern begins with God's purpose for us. But once humanity has disrupted it, it becomes a rescue. And we see this again in Noah, not too many chapters later. Noah, who tells the people the way to go and the people who do not listen and so God provides salvation for his people through Noah. We see the waters reappear, these chaotic waters, and they bring for us a bit of a state of decreation. 
They kind of erase everything. The heavens are opened, but God remembers Noah. He rescues a remnant. Noah and his family are saved through these waters. They step out onto dry land again, and there is a new creation. And then in one of the most famous stories in the Bible, we go through the book of Exodus and we see Moses. Moses, who is delivered through the waters of death. Remember, Moses was saved during a time when all of these other infant baby boys were being tossed into the river, into a river of death. And yet we see Moses saved, delivered through water. And, and coincidentally, or not, we see that the word ark, like we saw back with Noah, is used a second time. It's only used twice, the specific word ark. Moses was delivered from death in an ark. Now it's hard to think of Moses in like this giant ark. He wasn't, he was in a small basket, but the biblical authors are, are trying to paint a picture for us, to tie things together for us so we can see that these are similar narratives. And so Moses is rescued into the house of Pharaoh and he grows up there and later on we read that God remembered his covenant with the family of Abraham and appoints Moses to deliver Israel, his people, out of slavery in Egypt. And God saves his people from Egypt by rescuing them again through the water. He leads them through the water of the Red Sea, which Moses steps into the water, parts the people pass on dry land. They are delivered. They're sent to Mount Sinai after this deliverance to become God's people. Forty years later, after they've wandered in the desert for a while, we meet Joshua, Moses' successor. The Israelites are a new generation now, and they're preparing to enter into the promised land, this covenant that God has given them. But they spend the night on the Jordan River before finally entering, and despite the fact that they are not in any danger there, God again wants them to pass through the waters to the place that he has prepared for them. And so in Joshua 3, we see the priests being instructed to carry the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan River. And as priestly representatives, they enter into the water first. First, because what is true of them will become true of everyone who follows. And this will become our pattern. As soon as the priests' feet touch the rivers, the waters of the Jordan stand still in a single heap. And the Israelites once again cross on dry ground. And so this continues all through the Old Testament. We could take hours to trace water all the way through, but we're going to skip ahead to the New Testament because right at the very beginning of the New Testament, we see this pattern again. It starts us out right away. We see this begin with a man named John the Baptist. Now, if you know anything about John, some people think he's a little crazy. He lives out in the wilderness. He eats bugs. He is a prophet. People don't often like what he has to say. But John, John has this prophetic announcement of Israel's restoration, of the Messiah who is coming to rescue them. John is proclaiming that the Messiah is coming 
The Messiah is coming soon. They have been waiting hundreds of years, but the Messiah is coming, and John is calling for repentance. He's calling the people of Israel from Jerusalem and all the surrounding regions back to this familiar place, the Jordan River. And it's a prophetic and intentional act. John wants the people to pass through the waters. They know these stories. They know about Moses and the Exodus. They know about Joshua and the Jordan. They know all of this history. And so as the Israelites are led through the water of the Jordan, they are repenting of Israel's unfaithfulness. They are repenting of this compromise that they have made to their covenant with God. They're preparing themselves for when God makes Israel new again, when the promised Messiah arrives, which he does right then. In Matthew 3, 13 through 17, it's going to be on the screen for you, we read this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so we see this pattern begin again in Jesus. Matthew's language in the Jordan alludes to us the story of Joshua. Our readers would know that. Out of the water echoes back to the pattern of through the waters. The heavens open and split, referring back to the acts of separation at creation. The floodgates of the skies in Noah. The spirit like a dove descending upon Jesus pointing all the way back to creation for us of the way God's spirit hovered over. God's words to Jesus, you are my beloved son, echo the words that he spoke to Moses in reference to the Israelites being his children. None of this is by accident. The biblical authors weave these threads from creation all the way to the end of Revelation. It's through everything. And so God announces that Jesus is his son who will rescue the world. He is the promised Messiah. He's going to take us out of the chaos of human evil, out of the violence, by going into death and out the other side for us. And this is why baptism becomes such a big deal for Jesus' followers. The New Testament authors, they understood all of this history. They understood the background of these major redemptive events. They understood that baptism all throughout Scripture expresses an identification with Christ's death and Christ's resurrection. The old self was going to be crucified with Christ through the waters of death. And now followers of Jesus have risen with him in newness of life. And so I give you all of this history so that we understand when we get to baptism today that two things are going to happen. 
Stella is going to come today and she's going to be baptized and two things are going to happen to you, Miss Stella. The same two things that happened to Jesus. The same two things that happened to me and to you when you were baptized. And the first is this, you are going to be claimed by God as his beloved. The same way that Jesus was claimed by God as his beloved child. As I was preparing for this sermon today, I, I was reading the blog of a pastor friend and he was telling a story of his young daughter. And they'd been to church that day and there had been a baptism. And, and I kid you not when I tell you that these are the stories that pastor's kids have to kind of put up with from their pastor parents. My kids will probably raise their hands and testify. Um, but he asked his daughter while she's just sitting there playing with her toys, why did Jesus die? And as I read that, I thought, I know what she's going to say. We all know what she's going to say, right? Jesus died to save us from our sins, or he died for me, or he died to rescue us. But instead, she looks up from her toys and she responds, he died because he was baptized. He dies because he was baptized. You hear us say a lot that there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism. Jesus' baptism is the only baptism that there has ever been. Jesus steps into the Jordan to fulfill all righteousness by becoming our unrighteousness. He becomes all that we are, that we might be able to become all that he is. He dies on the cross because he was baptized to fulfill this baptismal covenant that we could never fulfill on our own. He absorbs a world saturated with sin and lies and lust and violence, all the wrong that we do that he never did. He carries it to the hill. He even speaks of his death in terms of baptism a baptism with which he must be baptized. And so just like his death and resurrection that we, are that, that we get, we get to participate in his death and resurrection. We sang a song right off the bat this morning that we are resurrection people. The resurrection is in us. We can live in that. And the same thing happens to us in baptism. Christ's baptism becomes our own. We are joined to his oneness, and in that oneness, we get to find fullness that we could never have found on our own. And so this is what's important for us to understand today. What Stella already understands, she's talked with Pastor Emily and her parents some of us did the same when we were baptized. Some of us were baptized as infants, and we don't remember our baptism, but that doesn't matter. Because what was Christ became ours, and we did nothing to earn it. Nothing. We don't bring anything to the table in which we can earn that baptism. We can't purchase it. There are no promises we can make to trade for it. 
Baptism, like communion, is a sacrament. It is a means of grace from God to us. He is the actor in baptism, not us. Just him. You heard in our scripture today that that Jesus comes on the scene, right? And, And God just says, this is my beloved. This is my beloved. Jesus had done nothing to earn God's favor. He hadn't started his ministry yet. All he'd done is grow up. He'd grown up. He'd learned, he'd been taught, maybe he went to school, he started a trade. But he did nothing to earn that status as God's beloved other than being it. This is why we practice both infant and adult baptism as Nazarenes, because we know we have done nothing to earn this gift of God. To hear from God in the waters of baptism that we are his beloved children. It's also why we have no specific prescription for it. We don't have to have a pretty baptismal pool. We don't have to be dunked completely under. We can be here in this room. We can be at the park in a lake. We can be in someone's backyard surrounded by our church family of faith. We can have water poured on us or sprinkled on us. None of that matters because God is the actor and water is his symbol and he is the one who does the work. Jesus tells us to be like little children in our faith. If you've ever watched Stella, you have seen her. She is determined and curious. She is full of life and energy and inspiration. And this morning, we get the opportunity to witness her faith, the faith of a child. We will be led by the child receiving baptism, and we get to participate with her as her family of faith. But before she comes, which she's going to do in just a moment with her parents, I want all of us to stand because what we are going to do together is we are going to proclaim our baptismal creed together. We are going to proclaim what it is we believe about God and his church and his son and baptism itself in the Apostles' Creed. So would you read together with me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our worship team's gonna lead us in just a moment. And as we do here at Calvary, I, I want to invite you who have been baptized, who have participated with God in this means of grace to you, 
to come touch the waters and remember your baptism. Recall the significance of the grace of God to rescue you, to be with you, to love you, to welcome you as his child. If you have been baptized, you have been claimed as Jesus was claimed. You have been identified as a beloved child of God. If you were baptized as an infant or otherwise, you have this claim on your life and you do not need to be rebaptized, but you can come remember, touch the water, accept that identity for yourself. But if you haven't been baptized, you too are welcome to come. We don't, we don't do this here often at Calvary, um, but today just feels different. You may not have come here this morning planning on seeing a baptismal service, and you definitely might not have come here planning to be baptized if that is not something that you have participated with God in before. But I want to tell you, if you are one who knows the love and grace of Jesus on your life, you know him as your rescuer, and you're sitting there thinking, I want this. I want this claiming. I want this identity. I want this means of grace from him. I want you to come too. I want you to come find one of us pastors up here at the front by the ramp. I want you to declare that you are one with God and Christ and that you want your baptism to signify that. And we will baptize you, my friends. You don't have to be dunked. We said that earlier. God loves you has always loved you right where you are, but he is determined to not leave you there. He is determined to work his grace in your life and to transform you. And so as our team sings, I would invite you to just come around the back, all of you, to remember your baptism. Come up this side, touch the waters, pass back through to your seat in whichever way is easiest and best for you, but come and participate in this means of grace with us. Now, if you listened really carefully, you noticed that I only told you one thing that occurred during baptism. I told you there were two, but we only made it to one. And the second one is this. Not only were you claimed as beloved by your father, but you were called. Many theologians see Jesus' baptism as the beginning of his ministry because when Jesus was baptized the Holy Spirit came upon him and shortly after that Jesus says these words the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor when Jesus was baptized he was called. And I've got news for you. When you were baptized, you too 
we're called. And you may say, I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask to be called to anything. I'm not sure that I want to be called. But remember, this calling is more about God than it is about you. There is a call on your life whether you choose to answer it or not. Jesus says in Scripture, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit. We come out of baptism, out of those waters, a new creation and living into a new kingdom. And that means we have a new calling and it is up to us to follow that calling. We see this calling at the end of Matthew. We started our time together today at the very beginning of Matthew. And we're going to end it at the end of Matthew. In Matthew 28, 16, we know it is the Great Commission, but I want you to listen to it, maybe with new ears this morning. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, though some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, and here it is, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey and observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says that we are called to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them. But what you may not know is that the word baptize literally translates to immerse. So if we go back to that scripture, we are to immerse all nations, including ourselves, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are to immerse ourselves in their name. Now that sounds a little wonky until you know this. Someone's name in Jewish culture wasn't just what someone was called. My name, Carrie, is just what people call me. But then, when, when we're told to baptize in the name, it's not just something we say. Someone's name, what they were called, reflected their mission and their values and their character, and at times, even their occupation. The complete Jewish Bible actually translates this verse to read, immersing them into the reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. More than just a name, but a reality. Now listen, we hear the word calling, and a lot of us think vocation. I have a very specific vocational calling to the ministry, to being a pastor, to preaching the word. I have that calling. That doesn't mean you have that calling or everyone who's baptized has that calling or even any specific calling. Stella over here has probably not heard God say, Stella, I want you to do this for a job when you're 30 years old. Pretty sure she hasn't. Some of us are still waiting for God to tell us what it is he wants us to be doing with the rest of our lives. I know I felt that way in college 
as I considered and reconsidered and reconsidered what it was I was supposed to be doing with my life. But this is not what this passage is talking about. It is not necessarily talking about vocation, although that may exist for you. It is not talking about receiving a divine inspiration from God that says you're going to do X, Y, and Z. We don't have to wait for that. We don't have to wait for a powerful experience or neon lights on a sign. In baptism, we have been immersed, and calling is not something we wait for, but something we have already been given, something we live into in the here and the now, wherever we find ourselves. There's an old, old theologian. Um, he's got a kind of a funny name. His name is Augustine of Hippo, and he is attributed to saying this really profound thing, love God and do whatever you please. For the soul is trained in love to God, and it will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. He's not saying that, that if you love God, you can just go do whatever you want. He's talking about calling and vocation. He's saying that the one who loves God, their soul has been trained to do everything to love God. God. Everything we do. My friends, you can go clean toilets and express the love of Jesus. You can be immersed in that love and letting it flow through you. Calling is about living into our full identity as Christ. Many of you uh, knew Pastor Karen. And when I when I went through Christ Life Solutions with her, I sat in her home to do phase two one-on-one -on -one with her. And I really struggled with this concept of, like, overflowing the love of God. And, like, like God, I need to know exactly what you want me to do. I need a list. I need X, Y, and Z. I don't function without a plan. I have to-do lists for my to-do lists. And, and she's just like, no. Like, like, you just slosh the love of God wherever you go. And I, I, I laughed at her. I was like, I pictured her like just walking around like sloshing something. And, and she talked to me about how like you walk with a drink. I walk, I live next door and, and walk across after lunch with my afternoon coffee cup in my hand and generally it doesn't have a lid. And, and I have to walk really carefully because if I don't, no matter how still I hold it, my coffee cup, it still goes sloshing, right? Like I lose some of that coffee. And, and that's what she's talking about. That's what scripture is talking about for us here today. Our calling is to walk in a way that no matter what we're doing and no matter where we go, we slosh the love of God in all the places and on all the people that we come into contact with. So our worship team's going to come back. This is a really short message section. They're going to come back and we're going to have a chance to respond to both the idea that we have been claimed and that we have been called. Because I think maybe we don't always put those two things together. We're waiting. We're waiting to hear from God. We're waiting to know what we're supposed to do. And I spent decades waiting until I learned that I already had a calling 
a calling to overflow the person and nature of Jesus in the world, to reflect the image of God. Have you ever noticed that it doesn't say that we were made in the image of the Father, that we were made in the image of Jesus, that we were made in the image of the Holy Spirit? We weren't. We were made in the image of God. It's Trinity Sunday. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. In the image of God, the three-in-one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit pouring out to each other consistently, never holding back for themselves, but always pouring everything out to each other. That's the image that we were made in, and that's the calling that we were baptized into. And so I would ask this morning that you would spend time before the Lord as our worship team sings. They're going to sing a song you know well. It's called So Will I. And this song talks about how the rocks will cry out and creation will cry out. And so will we. We declare in this song that we too will cry out in praise to the Lord, that we too will live out this calling that we have. Now listen, you can find an altar and you can pray and you can listen there. You can stay in your seat. You can kneel at your seat. You can stand and hold your hands or arms open in submission to the Father this morning. Renew your covenant commitment to him. Immerse yourselves in this calling, knowing that you are known you are known and claimed. You are loved exactly where you are. And you are called to be transformed by his love and to transform others. So Father, we thank you. Acknowledging that you have never left us behind. You have never forgotten us never forsaken us, never turned your back on us. Lord, we pray forgive us this morning for when we have done that to you. Thank you, Lord, that you do forgive that we can come to your table this morning without fear or trembling or shame or worry, without self-doubt or criticism, but God, knowing that you have forgiven, that you have given grace, that you have made us a new creation. that you have prepared this meal for us. This table where you invite all of us to come and join you in your call to rescue and to love and to be found beloved. Father, this morning we are going to pray together. And so if you 
would stand and join me in praying the prayer that our Father taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.